Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle, but he don't ever get rattled, he just goes till the sun goes down. Welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is brought to you by hosts Greg Bloom and Jackson Lamb. What is Food Chat? Food Chat is reconnecting you with your food. We interview ranchers, farmers, chefs, consumers, growers, packers. We talk to everybody about food and what it goes through to get to your house. I'm Chef Jackson Lamb and I've been in the food service business for 40 years. And uh, my co-host is Greg Bloom. Greg, tell us a little bit about you. Oh, thanks, Chef Jackson. Good to be here. Yeah, well, I grew up on a farm in Brighton, Colorado, so I'm a farm kid and worked for 30 years in USDA food plants in Colorado, so I've learned just a little about food, and, you know, I love this show because it just reconnects people to their food. Like, where does food come from and how does it get to your table? Less than 1.5% of Americans are in food production anymore, and people can hear all the great past episodes at foodchat.us. Hey, Chef Jackson, we have a great guest on the show today. Tell us about our guest. Well, you know, first of all, for our listeners out there, we're doing a series of eight different types of ethnic cuisines. And so, again, if you go to, uh, you could go to your iPhone podcast uh, tab and you can get Food Chat right on there. So anywhere in the world, you can listen to us. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to Chef Shelley Kark. Um, Shelley has a, an extensive background, very uh, well trenched in the food service industry, and she's a CPA. I don't know how that all comes together, but Shelley, welcome to our uh, show. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm so thrilled to be here. Honored. Chef Shelley, I'm going to start with the first question to you. Would you please tell us and our listeners uh, you know, how you became interested in food and a, a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure, Greg. So I grew up in um, a family where food was of primary importance. My mom loved to cook, and um, I spent lots of time in the kitchen. And while I'm a change of career culinarian, as Jackson stated, um, I've been in the food and beverage industry for longer than I'm willing to tell you. <laughs> not quite as long as Jackson Lamb, but uh, not, I'm not willing to tell you. <laughs> and uh, I started out in restaurants around the country, and um, high-level French restaurants, um, and then moved into education and really found my passion there. I started a local cooking school here in Denver, Colorado, Cook Street School of Fine Cooking, and I traveled around the world with my students there, and then I started my own business, Kitchen Q, which is um, a series of technique-based cooking videos that help home cooks um, cook easier and faster and more efficiently. And uh, I consult around the state, uh, with school food reform, and most recently, I'm from Johnson and Wales University's Denver campus. Very oh, good. There. Well, <laughs> now Shelley, you also—I have seen you cooking at Metropolitan State University of Denver, and we talked about that previously. But you are awesome in the kitchen. You really are. Yes, it's been an honor to work with you, Jackson. It really has. Well, well, thank you very much. So, listen, if as we go to question number two. 
you know, you're here today because you are our Israeli expert. Um, you know, being of Jewish descent, mm-hmm. uh, there's a completely different cuisine out there that a lot of <laughs> people adhere to. And a lot of people don't adhere to it because they don't get it. So, um, you know, when we, when non-Jewish people take a look at Jewish food, they don't know if it's Israeli or if it's Mediterranean or should we call it Jewish? Is it all kosher or, you know, kind of define what all those things mean. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, um, it's a melange of terms that can easily get confused. And really, I think that kosher is, just to state this, kosher is defined, you know, in the Bible uh, for us. And those are the items that we can eat or cannot eat. And it also guides us on how we prepare those items. So, so that's sort of one category. And then underneath that category, you would have Jewish food or Israeli food. And I like to kind of segment the Jewish food conversation into two categories, like the people that came from Eastern Europe and the people that came from the Middle East and um, Morocco, you know, South Africa, that kind of area. So Jewish food in Eastern Europe is like, you know, potatoes, like Eastern European food, whereas the the Israeli food or the, um, you know, the what we would call Sephardic food is much more Mediterranean in style. Very good explanation. Okay, so with that... Um, so when we look at that Mediterranean style, and of course that's halfway around the world, but you know the history of the cradle of civilization is tremendous. Do arts or culture or history play into um, the foods that are, we're eating today in Israel? Yeah, you know, I think Israel is such um, an interesting space in the world that um, that there is a there is a huge pull to hold on to the culture and the history um, of that area and the arts of that area that always has been something, you know, arts and um, culture have been something that has been sort of woven into the Jewish population for centuries. And so I think that that is definitely a space that, you know, that's tourism is their number one is their number one economic driver because people want to go and learn about the history and the culture. And uh, I think that the food from Israel really comes from uh, the terroir, if you will. It's a wine term, but meaning just from the ground, you know, from the earth. And it really comes from what it is they are able to grow. It's a very sort of agricultural and naturally agricultural, like, um, you know, very healthy agricultural sort of society there, and they just really eat um, what it is that grows in the region. And, um, and luckily, a lot of beautiful things grow there, and um, it makes for very delicious foods. Shelley, you, you touched base on a, on a piece there about history. And, you know, we don't see it in our country, but where they're always having architectural, uh, archaeo- archaeology, archaeologist digs in the Middle East. And I Mm -hmm. think that that serves as a constant reminder um, of living in the past and what the past was all about. Yeah, it's true. And when you say that, Jackson, I feel like that is something that we miss in the United States. I mean, we're a new country. 
And so we don't have that historical, I mean, we have a history for sure that we want to honor and um, remember, but um, we don't have that deep historical pull uh, and grounding, really, that, um, that they do in other countries, in Israel in specific, and the Middle East in specific. Sure. You know, I, uh, I saw a TV show a couple of years ago, but um, in the show, in the scenario, there was a, uh, a police show, and uh, an uh, Israeli operative was working with uh, CSI. And oh, yeah. the one CSI guy says, well, listen, we're here in Illinois. I want to go see uh, Abraham Lincoln's cabin. It's 200 years old. <laughs> and she looks at him and she says, you consider that old? I know. So really what is old in our country is young compared to yeah. the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, I remember taking the students, part of what we did at Cook Street, we took the students for th- uh, three and a half weeks, almost a month so after the program to France and Italy. And so we were in Italy and we were going in the, on, the, on a tour of a winery. And so the woman there was showing us this olive, this, this, uh, olive tree that was, I don't know, thousands of years old, right? And so she showed, and that trunk is like, I don't know, six feet wide, right? Eight feet wide, it's huge. And she says, this tree has been here for, you know, so many thousand years. And then she looks at us and she says, and that was before Columbus discovered America. Yeah. (laughs) How point. Fine point on that. Very good, very good. All right. Hey, Shelly, I have a question for you about, you know, an easy-to-prepare dish that anyone can be successful with. But before I ask you that question, just to give you a minute to think about it, I want to tell you I have an experience working in a meat plant for several years, six years, and we did kosher beef. And it was interesting because every Tuesday the uh, rabbis would fly in, usually from New York or Chicago, and these men were all from Israel. Israel. They had been trained for at least six years as butchers, and this was the most strict of the um, kosher certifications. This was GLOT, G-L-A-T-T, kosher. And the rabbis were super picky about which animals were uh, qualified, like if they had a runny nose or some stuff gone anything wrong with them any blemish at all they were out of the program and another thing that is interesting is i'd ask the rabbis they'd always fly out friday because they had to get back for the sabbath you know but uh, i'd ask them well why don't why don't you you're like you're not eating anything off the hind quarter you're not eating the loin you know sirloin tenderloin strip loin and you're not eating anything off the round but you're only eating the brisket the chuck the ribs uh, the forequarter, and I, and I asked him why, and they said, well, it goes back to the book of Genesis. Like you said, yeah. the kosher yeah. diet is defined in the Hebrew Bible, but back in Genesis when uh, Jacob was wrestling with God and God was prevailing, God touched him in, in the Bible on his hip and dislocated his hip, and then everything below the hip now is unclean. So that's exactly why they don't eat the hindquarter. Just an interesting thing that I thought Greg, was... Greg, that's such great history. That's exactly right. And boy, you are knowledgeable. <laughs> well, just from the rabbis I worked with, I got to ask them lots of questions, and they were great, yep. great to work with. And boy, did they know meat. They could cut that carcass up so fast and very well trained. So that was a fun, fun part of my, my history. But back to my question. What, yeah. what, so, you know, we don't have a lot of Jewish restaurants or kosher restaurants in, in the metro area. And people listen to this show from all over the country, Chef Shelley. So I find that if people are looking, you know, on the East Coast, I think it's easier if they're in the New York area or maybe in Chicago where there's um, more of that community. But what, what kind of easy to prepare Jewish dishes would you recommend that people could try at home and be successful with? 
Yeah, you know, I'm thinking um, because it's summer here and it's hot and, um, you know, I'm thinking like something outside. And what's really simple that I make very, uh, frequently is shawarma. And I make it with chicken because it's something you can do at home, right? And if you know what shawarma is, I'll just explain. Shawarma is a, a street food in um, in Israel and in the Middle East and other in other countries in the Middle East. They all have you know similar foods and they call it slightly different things. But in Israel, we call it a shawarma, and it's a pita. And in that pita, you put lots of delicious salads. So like a tomato cucumber salad, which is you know, just something simple with olive oil and lemon, and you put that in there, and you can put a cabbage salad in there, and just any kinds of vegetables that you want. You put vegetables in that pita, and then you marinate the chicken with a shawarma spice. And that's something that is very popular, is becoming more popular, these global flavors. And you can get shawarma spice at Trader Joe's or Penzi's or lots of different spice um, spice stores, and so you rub your chicken up with that spice, with the shawarma spice, you grill it, you can put it on skewers if you want, but I just grill the breasts and the thighs and everything, and then once it's off the grill, I pick it off of the bones, and I shove it in that pita, and then put a little bit of like a yogurt, like you could put cucumber yogurt sauce on top, or a tahini sauce on top, and um, super easy, super fun, really fresh, really healthy. Uh, and that's really what I love about that cuisine in Israel because it's just it really is so fresh and healthy and real. And when we talk about real food, like you guys are talking about, like how do you get the food to your table? You know, it actually has been grown, right? Somebody's grown it, somebody's nurtured it, somebody cut it off, somebody's shipped it to you, sent it to you, you bought it at a farmer's market. That's the kind of food, like fresh off of the farm kind of foods there. You know, a lot of the – thank you for explaining that. I love shawarma, and I uh, – know that a lot of our listeners would probably don't, if they're making this at home, they don't need to buy the kosher ingredients. But some, some might. Some eat kosher and they want to buy kosher. Actually sell kosher poultry to the East Side Kosher Deli in Denver and deliver there every week. So people are looking for kosher poultry. Yes. Uh, so, you know, people that are listening maybe, not, maybe don't know this. You and I know this, Shelley, but you know, the, typically if you're eating a kosher diet, you're not eating pork, you're not eating bacon, there's no bacon shawarma. No, <laughs> you know, no, that's, no, no. that's kosher. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah, but but chicken, yes, and uh, those rabbis I work with that did beef, they also worked in poultry plants. So anyway, um, and lamb, and lamb. Oh lamb yeah, of course, shawarma, lamb. You know? Yeah, lamb kosher. is delicious too. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So thank you for the uh, the shawarma recipe. Hey Jackson, sure. next question. Very good. So you know, Shelley, there's a. You know, I was involved in a dinner party once where I didn't get to pick the restaurant, and at the time. Um, the group picked a Chinese restaurant, and I was not <laughs> into Asian food at all. Mm -hmm. So as a result, I, I couldn't find anything that I understood on the menu. And so, um, and boy, did I get a lesson that night. I ordered <laughs> the wrong stuff. So, you know, um, and I was invited by Jewish friends in New York to, hey, meet us at the Second Avenue Deli. So we oh, yeah. did. So for those people that find themselves in an uncomfortable, oh, God, I don't know what to order. Can you just go over a couple of key components of a typical uh, Jewish restaurant menu and give us an explanation? The shawarma uh, explanation was excellent. But, you know, do we see noodle kugel? Do we see, um, you know, what are some of the main dishes that we might not be familiar with that 
should we get ourselves into a situation or I get invited to dinner? You know, I've been invited to Seder dinner. So, right. um, you know, and some we, we go with a little trepidation there, but mm-hmm. let's get back to the, the restaurant scene. And um, Yeah, I think that the restaurant scene is interesting because at least in Colorado, you know, there's one restaurant, Safta, that does like a beautiful Israeli breakfast. And I mean, they do it up, man. Like if you can go, I'm not, I mean, I, I just have to say, it's really, really good. I'm not selling softa, but it's really, it's really delicious. It's probably the only place you can get like Israeli food here in Colorado that is really delicious. And um, but to your point, Jackson, there's, um, you know, there's the delis. There's this whole other food scene, and that really talks to like the Eastern European kind of um, perspective, right? So um, at a deli, of course, you're going to get corned beef. You can order a Reuben, right? You can order what we call knishes, which are potatoes, usually potato mixture that's wrapped in like a puff pastry, which are delicious. Um, Those are very popular. Again, you can kind of see this Eastern European sort of influence. Um, And then like to your point, the noodle kugels, they're sweet and they're savory. So some of them have like cottage cheese and raisins and cinnamon and sugar. And some of them have, you know, salt and pepper and just like a really light noodle and maybe some spinach in there. And so those are super delicious to eat. And um, I think that when we talk about uh, restaurants in, you know, the Jewish cooking, the deli definitely does come to mind. Um, at home, we eat a lot of, in our Eastern, because I'm Eastern European, my background is from Russia, actually, so and Lithuania, so we eat a lot of that style of food. But we eat a lot of brisket. So if you're talking about Passover, you're always going to have a brisket. Um, you're always going to have some kind of, you know, a potato dish. Um, you'll have maybe something wrapped in puff pastry. We do some um, deli meats that are wrapped in puff pastry and baked with uh, sauerkraut inside there. Um, you know, sometimes you'll get a borscht, which is a really delicious beet soup that um, put a little bit of, um, of sour cream in there, and that makes it delicious. Um, so there's, there's uh, you know, I think that you'll be able to find it. It might not, lo- it might not sound the same, but um, there's a lot of very similar, you know, very similar foods to even to um, places in Italy that do a lot of pasta and things like that. So, um, yeah, so they have some interesting names, but I think if you ask for some clarification on what it is, you'll, you know, it'll feel familiar. I would imagine most menus uh, actually offer that explanation as well. Mm-hmm. Probably, and sometimes you get there and, you know, you don't have time to look and read and decipher. So, um, you know, look for a brisket. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So, so then, you know, again, I'm, I'm familiar with all the kosher delis in town. Um, you know, having been the chef at Rose Medical Center, yeah. we would work with Eastside Kosher Deli during uh, Passover. And uh, they would deliver Seder dinners, which was terrific. Um, but I'm a deli guy. So New York Deli News, uh, New York Bagel. Uh, I love those places. Um, and you're right. Everything you just described, we're going to find in those delis. Let's go back to uh, Safta. I, I had a student previously that worked there. But what, what, what are the, some of the entrees that they have uh, on that that we may not have mentioned? Yeah, so I'll tell you about Israeli breakfast since we have a couple minutes. So Israeli breakfast is famous. And um, basically what it is is it's, it's everything under the sun. So you walk in, and first of all, it's tons of salads. 
different kinds of salads that are already made for you, you know, like the cabbage salad and the carrot salad. All these are marinated salads in the spices of that region. So super delicious and really fresh. And then there's some, you know, just like, really like lettuces and tomatoes and all of that. Then there's this whole area with fish. And it can be salmon and it's herrings and things like that. No shrimp. Right, but um, right, salmon, herrings, fish like that. Then there's a whole section with cheeses. Then there's a whole section with baked goods. Then there's the shashuka station where you can get eggs that are poached in like a uh, red bell pepper, tomato sauce, redolent with those spices, those Middle Eastern spices. And um, so then there's like a, a hot station where you can get shashuka and you can get potatoes and you can get vegetables and things like that. And then there's a whole maybe granola station, like a whole like yogurts, because yogurts, we, they make so many delicious yogurts and cheeses in Israel. So all yogurt station with all of the toppings, dried fruits, fresh honey with the, from the honeycomb dripping down on the plate and you can just scoop that honey up into your bowl and so this is really this is really breakfast situation is really like the most ginormous what we would call a buffet um that happens and that's what softa provides they provide they provide the little conditions they provide the stuffed um the you know the doughs that are stuffed with different things they provide malawa which is sort of like a a little pancake, like a crispy pancake that you, and they provide the hummus and the eggplant and all of the dips and all of the salads, and it is it is an amazingly authentic spread. Is that a in a buffet fashion? It is. Okay, very good. Hey, you mentioned shashuka earlier, and I really recognize that as more of a North African dish, but hey. I've done that with green chili and made it a Mexican dish. And that works out very well as well. But uh, just for the listeners, as Shelley explained earlier, with eggs, you take raw eggs and put them in a simmering liquid. Uh, again, in, uh, in Israel, it was a mixture of uh, uh, tomatoes and bell pepper. And uh, again, I'm using green chili. That's another great way to do it. Yum. It is. And so that's the beauty of food, I feel like. It, it brings people together because if you're eating your shashuka with green chili and I'm eating my shashuka with, you know, tomatoes and red pepper, we have something that, like, that is connecting us, right? There's something in common. We can talk about it. And that's the most beautiful thing, I think, about food um, is that across the world, uh, if you don't speak the same language as somebody else, when you get a, at a table with some food and some wine or something to drink, uh, you know, it just feels like they're your friends. You know, it feels like it's comfortable because there's so much in common. Very, very good. Hey, listen, I'll, I'll close with a terrific story. Okay. The White House chef was dismissed during the George Bush II administration. And he was a French chef. And Laura Bush had said, well, he cooks real good, but George and I like meatloaf. <laughs> so with his departure, I applied for the job. I got a VIP tour of the White House, oh just gosh. me and my father-in-law. It was one of the best experiences of my life. Oh, my gosh. And the guy that's given us the tour, he says, I'm the food and beverage director. And I look at him like, What? He says, we're really set up like a hotel. All of our titles are food and beverage director, executive chef, sous chef, pastry chef. So understanding that, I thought that was rather interesting. Um, 
Hey, Shelly, we have just a few minutes left, but I think it would be good. Since this is food chat, and it's all about food production, and we're talking about Israeli food. I have never had a chance to go to Israel. I'd love to go. would love to go to the Holy Lands and see Jerusalem and the temple no. and all that. But, yeah. you know, being in the food business for 30 years, one thing I know that our listeners may not know that maybe you could speak to briefly is that Israel is a world leader in agriculture in know-how and how to produce food and the things they're doing are state of the art, how they can grow food with less inputs. And in fact, on the whole plant-based scene in the world, Israel's probably number one and maybe Singapore number two in, in you know, uh, making now what they call, you know, cell-based meat. Um, but yeah. you, you, could you speak a little bit about that topic here? We have about three minutes left. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. I mean, it is amazing when you go there. It's a it's a beautiful place to visit, and you when you go there, you see that it is. Uh, there are places where there it's very natural to grow, if you will, or raise food. Right up in the north in the Golan Heights and the Galilee, that's where they do the wine production, and they do they raise cattle up there now, and they're doing some amazing, beautiful beef up there. Um, and then you know they're growing throughout the country all of their vegetables, and they don't have a great water source, uh, as you can imagine. They have the Dead Sea down in the south, and they have um, they are you know in the forefront of creating these desalination processes where they can take the salt out of the water and then use that water to irrigate the plants. And they do it like you say on a very sort of um, intentional method of watering. They're not just spraying water everywhere, right? Water is a huge commodity there. And so they're very, very, they treat it very precious. So they've come up with processes where they can water specifically in specific, specific ways and they can desalinate their water and then they, you know, put the sludge, if you will, right, the salt, the, it's sold as salt. I mean, it's a sea salt. It's beautiful. And then there's a, you know, a, a huge economy down there in the south. Um, of spas, Dead Sea spas, and, you know, the mud and all of that. So um, it is really amazing to see when you go there the a bounty of fresh fruits, vegetables, and things that the only the things that grow there. You, don't, you can't buy a pineapple in Israel. Don't go there thinking that you're going to get fresh raspberries <laughs> because there are certain things that they just don't grow. And, but what they do grow is fabulous and bountiful and amazing, and they do it with an amazing technology. They're pulling, the newest technology is to pull the water out of the air. They have that actually at the, at the Western Wall. There's like a whole exhibit right there about how they're pulling the water out of the humid air and, that, and how much water is being collected from the air and how they're using that to, you know, for, for crops or for different things. So they are on the cutting edge of technology. You know, I mean, I think Israel is like, I don't know, the number one in the number of patents that they've developed. And, you know, so I think they're very technology driven and have certainly the capacity to figure out ways to, um, to grow the, the bountiful food that they do have. I mean, it is supposed to be a land of milk and honey. Well, of course. Um, <laughs> but not always. Right. All right. Hey, listen, we're almost out of time. Let me just circle back. You were saying how... You know, we have differences in cultures, but if we can sit down to a good meal. That's yeah. where I was going with the White House story. So I'm getting a tour of the back of the house, and there is a dining room that seats 16. That's not even on the map. And the food and beverage director says to me, he said, Chef Jackson, this is how it works. Ariel Sharon and his team are sitting on one side of the table, and uh, a bunch of uh, 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 people from uh, Arabia are sitting on the other side of the table. 
He said, but you'd be surprised what gets done over a good lunch. Yeah, that's so true. Absolutely. Hey, right. Shelly, we are out of time, and I want to thank you so much for coming on board. Thank um, you, hey, when we can take water out of the air, that's called an atmospheric harvester. There are two in town here. One is at the Botanic Gardens. One is at Metropolitan State University. So anyway, very great information, great uh, interview, and I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Greg, you want to say? Uh, well, thanks, Chef Shelley. Thanks so much. We'll have you back on. Thanks, Greg. That sounds great. I appreciate it. Today's episode of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com has the best selection of beef, bison, wagyu, air-chilled chicken, turkey, and duroc pork, and more, all sourced from the family farms and ultra-clean USDA plants that they know personally. Take the mystery out of where your meat comes from and how the animals were cared for and buy your family's meats at RanchFreshMeats.com. Hey, save 10% on your first order by using Food Chat at checkout. Orders over $200 include free shipping. RanchFreshMeats.com Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring The turn from green to that harvest honey Hold one up for the banker downtown They got him on his feet with handshake of money Here's to the farmer's wife That loves him every night Raising a son Raising a daughter, they gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.